to this podcast episode. Uh, it's a long one. If you enjoy our discussions when Alex, Bethany, Jaden, who's ever on, when we dive into uh, to movies and what we might do to make the movie-going experience better and shows and why we watch what, you're going to like the... Uh, I guess last 60% of today's episode or this episode. Um, first 20 minutes or so, you get to know a lot about film Toledo. I'm going to guess or hope, or maybe not. Maybe you come to this podcast to find out what's happening here in our community, like things like film Toledo. Uh, I don't know how I came across Michael DeSanto on social. Uh, our networks are connected. Michael DeSanto and Charles Wetzel, uh, film Toledo. There was a press conference last week. I think it had to have been at Glass City Metro Park. Everything is at Glass City Metro Park these days. Uh, film Toledo will now be the film commission for the city of Toledo. As you'll hear Michael and Charles explain, that gives them a lot more cachet, credibility, gravitas to bring uh, film projects to the area. The example I threw out at them, and I'll run by you to give you an idea of what we'll talk about. Remember, uh, what, 10 years or so ago? that uh, the Avengers was shot in Cleveland. I see parts of Detroit in buildings I've worked in, in Transformers movies, and I think uh, Zack Zack Snyder did Justice League things or Superman up in Detroit. Maybe not to that scale, or maybe just scenes for films like that. Michael and Charles want to bring projects like that here, but also, if you have an interest in acting... Uh, they have things to offer you. So let's dive into that conversation right now. Michael DeSanto and Charles Wetzel. Uh, All right, let's roll. Guys, thanks for taking some time. Michael, I finally get to catch up with you where one of us is not in a vehicle rolling by the other. I know, it's great. (laughs) Uh, um, Congratulations. I have a lot of questions. I hope people saw, uh, saw the news. Film Toledo, uh, there is a partnership with, we'll start with this. Charles, Mike, what's Film Toledo? So Film Toledo, uh, we are the local film commission. We cover Toledo, Northwest Ohio. And we basically have two roles, which is to bring in outside film productions to the Toledo area to boost our local economy. And also to kind of bring the whole film community together with educational programs, uh, stuff like that, to... Mixers. Uh, mixers. Uh, we do have a monthly a at up. Toledo Spirits. Uh, quarterly. 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 Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, how how does this all work? What is what does your day to day look like uh, to bring people into the community to make this more of a film community? So there's already a great um, a great artistic community in Toledo. Yeah. There are a lot of independent local filmmakers who are doing great work and not getting a lot of attention because Toledo isn't known as a as a film town. And there are a lot of other, you know, regions around here, uh, Cleveland, Columbus, uh, Dayton, Cincinnati, all these areas where they, they have established film commissions, they have film scenes, they have festivals, they have stuff going on. And that's something where we want to showcase what we're doing and bring more attention to Northwest Ohio. There are some small film festivals that I think of. I don't know if that there was something at the Mommy Indoor. Yes, uh, the, the Maumee Film Festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not talking about the one uh, that you did in August with Jaden and Community. friends. Yeah, yeah, but the Maumee Film Festival. But these things aren't really, they're not a big deal. And it seems like this is what you guys want to do, build these up, build more of them. Charles, is that pretty accurate? 
Yeah, so uh, that is something that we're looking to do. The pandemic killed off a lot of the film festivals we had around here, like Glass City Film Festival, yeah. Mommy Film Fest. The Mommy Film Fest was actually one of the biggest uh, film festivals in our area. Like, it always had a good turnout. We always had like submissions and all these people involved. Um, but it was one of the things that the pandemic had killed off, and it's something we really hope to bring back. How did how did your partnership? Um arise with the city of Toledo from what I saw with the buildup and everything and the press releases and the press conference. It looks like now you're just like an, an augmentation of the city of Toledo. Uh, you're, you're the go-to for all things, film, entertainment, art, and media in a sense, rather than them starting their own department. Would that be accurate? Right. They actually, so one of the things about the city of Toledo is they, they don't quite understand film yet because we, again, we're not a film town. And that's something where we kind of provide that expertise and information about, you know, what is happening in the film scene? What what are the productions that are coming here? Um, when the, the Tom Hanks film, A Man Called Otto, was here, you know, they it was it was a novelty. It was new to them. Mm-hmm. So that's something that we had to provide. Did you guys have a hand in that? Um, we helped out a little bit, um, getting getting the word getting the word out about extras, that kind of thing. And that's something where going forward, you know, with an official partnership with the city, we can be the direct liaison to make sure that uh, that they're charging permit fees and you know fees for service for different different services that are being used. If it's for facilities or street closures or the police department, the port authority. And these aren't just random fees either. These are fees that the film productions are already anticipating on paying. Right. So like to, to waive that is almost just like giving up money. The uh, man called Otto and Tom Hanks seems like a great example. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was all over my radar. Uh, some of my police friends got pictures with Mr. Hanks that he was a, a good dude. Some people don't even know we have a train station here. So <laughs> <Yeah>. all <laughs> kinds of things off the radar. Like nobody would believe Tom Hanks is in Toledo at a train station. We don't have it. Tra- so is this is that a great example of what you guys intend to do to raise the profile of and get more things like that here? That's actually that's so that's going to be part of our location database. Um, you know, anyone that comes here will be able to look at that database, see what kinds of things we have available. But like if people look at it, they'll actually be able to see what kind of stuff's around here too, which is really beneficial for local filmmakers who are looking for some locations. In, in, in the case of A Man Called Otto, that was actually, there was the Cleveland Film Commission. They they did most of the scouting for that film and they knew that we had that Amtrak station. And in some cases now, they actually, the Cleveland Film Commission, they'll send us work. They'll say, Quinn. oh, hey, I know you guys have boots on the ground in Toledo. You know the neighborhood better than we do. Do you have X or Y? Hmm. So we, you know, we can provide those services because usually film productions, when they're looking for something around here, it's it's one of two things. It's something that they can't find anywhere else, or it's something that is good for like a period piece, that old rustic Midwest kind of look, and in some cases some rundown looking locations that haven't been touched. Mm-hmm. So how, we know it's it's one or the other. How about how about value as well? We're not going to charge as much here as right. a, as a larger city. Does that come into play as well? It, it does. We Big you know time. we're very affordable. We we have a lot of options. It's just it's it's untapped potential. Uh, one of the things I, I I think of, and maybe when you touched on it, how Cleveland was a hub. Um, I know the Avengers shot there ten mm-hmm. years ago. And Cherry uh, and uh, White Noise. Yeah, the, the um, Russo brothers. They've been they've done a lot of their films there. Yeah, it's Michael, convenient. Michael Bay set up shop uh, in some rural part of Michigan to do some Transformers things. Mm-hmm. So everything around us in this halo has been like a, a big film hub. And I know mm-hmm. um, like film credits or something like that, it, it, tax breaks. Is that what you guys endeavor to do here in Toledo? So that that's actually one of the things that we've already 
uh, been into for a long time. Ohio has um, a film tax credit. It's uh, it's $40 million. It's actually going to be going up over the next couple of years, which is going to be really amazing because uh, as it is right now, Cleveland eats up a lot of our tax credit before, like halfway through the year. So being able to expand that will offer a lot more money for other areas who are doing film as well. Um, and we are kind of in a hot spot for film um, Toledo specifically, because Michigan had a film tax credit, um, what, was it like $120 million? It's $100 million. Yeah. They actually, they're working to, it's the Michigan Film Industry Association. They're yeah. actually trying to bring that back yeah. and revive that ever since their legislature kind of flipped. So that's something that we're looking at, not as not as competition, but just incentive to do more in Ohio. But because with our tax credit going up, we're going to have more resources for the whole state. And, what, and what's cool with Michigan, how they used to have a tax credit and trying to bring it back, there's still resources left there from when they were like big with their film. And that places us between Cleveland and Indianapolis and Chicago and uh, Detroit, Michigan in general, uh, Columbus. We're right in the middle of all of these film hotspots. Most of the people who travel for these film jobs have to go through Toledo yeah. anyway. So why not just stop here and shoot here? In, uh, in a lot of ways... To suss that out a little bit more, when somebody's taking a trip, maybe they'll stop here in Toledo. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, one of the reasons we are a massive human trafficking center here is because of just that as well. We're mm -hmm. the center point of two major highways, north, south, east, and west. Is this the kind of thing, Michael, where you guys will go around the area and maybe tap into some of these larger uh, film commissions and go, and, and if somebody's looking for a small, quick, one-day shoot, like at a place you were talking about, and it's not going to cost a lot, they pop down here, shoot, get, get in and out of town, the ballpark a rustic place and other things that's the majority of uh, film productions that's what they're looking for yeah most of these films they're not looking to to shoot for a whole a whole month or three months you know we're not set up the way cleveland is for these larger productions we don't have studio spaces that can handle that so most of the productions that do come in they're looking for that that one or two day shoot we we actually have a, a one film that's coming in i won't reveal too much but they actually, they're planning to shoot at the Hollywood Casino. And it was a one or two day shoot, which got delayed because of the strikes. And that's all they wanted. They wanted to come in. They did some work in Cleveland. They wanted to do some work in Toledo for a day or two. That's still a huge benefit to local vendors. We had set yeah. them up with local vendors. You know, everything from, you know, trailers to tents to porta potties. Mm -hmm. And just the value of, of shooting here and coming in, doing the work and going and kind of being left alone too. We, you don't want to publicize that too much. Sure. Um, was it the value of being here? Because as we now know, there's casinos everywhere. They could have gone anywhere. But they we have actually, a really nice casino. Well, specifically, <laughs> I, I, I can address that. They actually, you know, they were looking for a, a casino space where it was kind of isolated. It was away from, you know, the hub road, of things, you know, yeah. uh, activity, the roads, the highways. One of the things that they asked for specifically was, you know, and they don't know that unless they're on the ground, is how close are you to 75? How much noise is there from, from the highway at night? Because this is a night shoot. You know, what's the lighting situation like outside? Because they're, they're planning to shoot outside. So it's it's all those, the logistical issues that, you know, we, we're here so we can assist with that. And you're now the conduit for all that stuff, right? right? Mm -hmm. um, what else do you guys endeavor to do with this project? Uh, and, and how else does the city help you guys out, Charles? Uh, so one, one of the things that we've been kind of looking into is expanding on our classes that we're trying to provide. Um, we're looking to bring in professionals from outside the Toledo area. Um, I've already been talking to some like pretty big names. Um, 
in, in, in Ohio, actually, like from Cleveland, and uh, they've already agreed to like teach some classes. The thing is, is I just want to make sure that we make it worth their while to come here. Sure. Um, I've been getting crazy interest from actors all over the place who are like, yes, absolutely, I want to do that. And I think doing something like that would definitely up the, the acting level uh, around here and help push our film scene even further. Um, because that's the one thing that I've noticed a lot is... Uh, we have a lot of theater actors mm-hmm. in, in Toledo. Like it's, it's a very big theater town. Um, there's a decent amount of film actors, too. And some of the film actors I've met are actually like really, really good. Or some people have moved away and came back, moved away, came back. Um, but ultimately, a lot of theater people that I've met have been looking into getting into film. And I think these classes would be a great way to transition from one to the other. Because they are different. Like yeah. it, it is very different um, acting styles. Um, but it's not impossible to transfer from one to the other. Mike, how does this city help when they're able to? So one of the the benefits of our partnership with the city is that they have access to locations and information that, that we don't. We have our own internal database, which you know has, has locations, everything from local businesses to, to local homes in different communities where we've, we've already reached out. With the city of Toledo, they have access to so much more than we do. They they know the area. They are able to handle street closures. And so one of the things that we're going to be doing is working with them on a proper permit program, mm-hmm. making sure that, you know, proper fees are being charged for the use of, you know, city services and, and the street closures and, and for different buildings. Like if you want to film, there's a, a film that I assisted with briefly where they were looking for a courthouse. And I did some scouting at the Lucas County Courthouse. They're looking for a specific type of room, which they had. Now, that's something where, I mean, if I went as myself and said, hey, can, you know, can a film come in here and, and shoot, you know, some scenes in this courthouse? With the backing of the city of Toledo and contacting, contacting them directly, that makes my job so much easier and saying, no, we are, we are a partner with the city of Toledo. We are the official film commission. It, it just makes the, the request a lot more legitimate. Yeah. So you can say, I will have Wade down here in five minutes if you don't let me in. <laughs> exactly. And I, we, we talk to him all the time now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Charles, how did you get into all this? Uh, so I got into all this because I've, I started doing acting in like 2007 or something. And, uh, we started out, I, I met Michael working at Kroger. Yeah. I was, I was like 17. I was a bagger. He was a cashier. And like after a certain amount of time, uh, I kept bothering him and bothering him. He couldn't stand me. He drove me nuts. <laughs> and, uh, he was like, Wait, what did he have that you want? Did you want to cash your job? No. He, so, <laughs> so Michael was like, he was making his own like YouTube videos, like Got in, it. in the early two thousands back when that was like in front know, of and behind the camera. Right? Yeah, Be- before was, I had to, had to hit skip ads seven times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I really wanted to do that too. I was taking TV broadcasting courses at the time. And so I was kind of getting into film, uh, at the, at that time. And eventually he broke down and started making videos with me uh and then we just kind of kept pushing from there got started doing like we did a full-length film with just mm-hmm. like the two of us and that was an awful experience <laughs> because <laughs> making a full-length film without a crew is not recommended it's insane yeah no. and then uh, we started taking classes and like educating ourselves and then it finally got to a point where it was like you know all of these major cities have film commissions except toledo and we have a lot to offer and then Michael was like, 
are we going to make a film commission right now? <laughs> and we just I was, did. I guess we had a lot of great people involved and it expanded and it grew and we started having classes. Mm. And one of the things that, that happened though was with the pandemic, you know, we had to, we had to stop, we had to stop doing in-person classes. We tried to do things online, didn't quite work. The film industry basically shut down mm. due to COVID. And after 2021, when things really started back up again, then the work that we were doing, it was, it was kind of like a snowball effect. And every month we had more and more people show up for, for mm-hmm. different classes, Good. more people get involved on our board. And now with the the city of Toledo, it's it's kind of crazy how, how far this has come in such a short time. Yeah, that's actually, I think that's kind of how this all came together was because we've had just such great support from everybody that we've talked to, like the, the film scene, the city, mm-hmm. uh, local businesses. It's like... It sounds. It's been, it's been amazing. I, I hear this. This is not a conversation I've, I've had in all my time here, and it, I, I learned really fast that the arts community uh, was well beyond uh, a world class art museum here. Mm-hmm. But hearing you guys talk about it now, you're right. I have a lot of friends. I don't like going to my friends' musicals and shows because they just go over my head. But I will support them and talk about them and say go go to my friends' shows for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, never once have I come across somebody here who said. I want to be an actor. Now, mm. maybe it's because they went out to L.A. and they've come back and they've realized maybe I'm just better at the, at the cashier at Kroger. But it's not <laughs> something I've come across too often. And maybe you guys doing what you're doing now will get more people thinking that. And I'm sure you guys have come across many people who have done exactly that. I want to be an actor. Mm. They go out somewhere and they're like, no thanks. And they're right back here. Yep. Or it's just it's just really hard for them. That's that's one of the reasons why I wanted to start bringing some, some good classes here is because I don't want people to have to go do all the same stuff that I did. You know, w- wanting to be an actor based in Toledo when there's like hardly any resources means that I've had to travel for any training, any classes. Like I went, I went to a second city in Chicago I went for two semesters there. I had to go there every Sunday for 16 weeks straight. That's a lot of travel. That's yeah. a lot of work. On but Amtrak. On an, I took the Amtrak. That's how I knew we had a train station. <laughs> but it, it was it's it's a lot of work. I had to go to Indianapolis for classes. I had to go register in New York with like central casting. And so it's like having to travel to do all of that is so, is so much work. And there's so many people here who I'm sure would love to do that yeah. stuff if it was more accessible. What do they teach you? What do you guys teach when somebody says, I'd like to be an actor or actress? So usually I don't, I don't like to necessarily lead classes, but I do have lots of information to share on like my personal experience, even on how I got started. You know, I, I usually go over like the basics of acting in terms of like, this is how you get gigs. Like ultimately these are the things you need to do in order to get gigs, to get an agent and kind of move forward. Uh, you know, rather it be sending them links to different groups that are offering, you know, some, some beginner, uh, film roles or even or even crew roles like there's a lot of local indie films there's a lot of student films at the universities i always recommend people get involved with the universities um i i do some work with the the bgsu film students and i know their professors and they've been really great uh i try to i try to help get them uh any kind of credits that they can get because one of the complaints i hear, heard from the students the most was everything the school gives us, it's always the same thing. And then you see all these students who all do really similar projects because of it. And so being able to help them branch out and actually get onto a film set while they're still in college has been great because once they graduate, they've already got their foot in the door. They've already done that, this kind of work right. and they're not uncomfortable and just thrown in there. So Mike, Michael, I guess you, I gather 
from hunting all your pictures, you like production stuff maybe more than in front of the camera? <laughs> I, I started out in front of the camera only because I was making YouTube videos like 15 years ago. And Are those I, still I was, up there? Some of them. Some of them, I, <laughs> some of them are now. I, I had them unlisted. And some are he private. deleted some of my favorite videos. <laughs> you know, well, it was that, it was that kind of thing where you know at the time it was considered funny, and now it's cancelable. Right. So yeah. I wanted to preemptively, you know, make, make sure. yourself yeah. exactly. And so once you know, once I met Charles and some other people, I got involved with where they were interested in you know helping in in a crew role or you know being actors. I I transitioned to behind the camera where I'm much more comfortable. I you know I don't even like to be the face of film Toledo at all. I I'm much happier behind the scenes, and you know and as a director I work with actors a lot, and I like to you know, you know foster that growth with with actors and see where they can you know where they can go, and Charles is great with that too. How can people get involved in film Toledo? Well, uh, check out filmtoledo.com. We actually we have some events coming up. We have a we have monthly workshops. We have different events we partner with. We have our quarterly mixers. Uh, there's a lot of networking opportunities. That's that's the biggest thing that we have to offer right now is connecting with other people and just seeing what the, the film scene is about. And also for, for business owners who are interested, who might want to, to say, oh, yeah, I'd love to have my business featured in a film or I'd like to have my, my home featured in a film. There are opportunities, but we have to make sure that we're connecting those people together and understand the economic benefit to the to the region, to to business owners, to filmmakers. That's you know that's what we're all about. And also, um, part of, part of our role that we take is protecting these businesses uh, when they do offer up their locations, like making sure they have contracts, making sure that everything is set in order. Because the last thing that we want is for a film production to come in go to a local business and then wreck the place yeah, ma- making sure that they have production insurance yeah. and you know everything is is covered because the people in, in toledo are are so generous with their their time and their spaces and you know because we're not a film town we don't think oh we need to charge for every little you know single little thing and we want to make sure that everything is done the proper way it's like it's it's a business film is a business mm. literally you have to get a business license for your film yeah and you guys see around the corners for people here that don't know otherwise. So thanks for doing that. Um, how much time do you have? You in a rush? I have lots of time. I'm Perfect. I'm no rush. All right. Now this'll that'll that'll satisfy my twenty minutes for contact. Okay. Uh, let's let give me your guys' perspective, Charles, we'll start with you. Uh, and and put in layman's terms, I'm fairly familiar with it, but for someone who isn't, um, explain the strikes. The strikes? Ooh. Um, so Ultimately, and then do it. Do it in thirty seconds. Okay, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay, ultimately, the, uh, the I can do it if you can't. <laughs> ultimately, the the writers are, are initially started the strikes, uh, underpaid like the royalties, literally seeing checks for like three cents. The royalty checks for like three cents, not even worth the paper it's printed on. Um, SAG kind of joined in on that. Those uh, the actors, SAG after the Screen Actors Guild, um, they they jumped on board too, giving it more weight, but also with their own terms. Um, AI is something that they're really fighting against right now. Um, like scanning, one of the things they've been doing for about ten years is scanning people, and basically they're able to just insert them into films or de-age people or put somebody's face over somebody else. 
and it's it's just not right. Like that's that's not ethical. It's it's shortcuts. It's cheapening out, and it's also really taking away money and jobs from actors from from background actors. Yeah, they you know you're you're getting you're getting paid maybe two hundred dollars a day to be a background actor, say on a film like A Man Called Otto. Yeah, and if you're doing a full body scan, they can use it in perpetuity without paying you anything right. for future usage, which is totally wrong. Like that's so unethical to if, use that likeness and just be able to get away with that maybe this is one of the things that was negotiated what if some what if that fee is up like instead of 200 i will give you 500 but i get i get your likeness for 10 years well, right now they don't even want to pay the 200 yeah. right so that's that's a big issue but you know i, I know you know right now sag after they they are in current negotiations with the amptp right now mm-hmm. so that's promising the wga strike is over they actually just signed everything i think yesterday the day before so that's you know that's done for now the big issue right now is actually writers trying to get back to work and working with the studios where they've had this hostile relationship for five months now that's going to be a some some trouble going forward but we're we're hoping that they resolve the the sag after strike soon because we have productions that were all set to film in toledo in in ohio Ohio, in general and they're just waiting and they're waiting it out. And if you are someone who watches like Fall Network TV, uh, your shows will be here next year, not yep. anytime yep. soon. I've I've had so I've been I was talking about the strikes when they first started going on, and I had so many people who were like, "Oh, well, that doesn't bother me. It that will. doesn't that doesn't concern <laughs> All me." All those actors are rich. So yeah, I don't right. I don't need to back them. Why should I do that? I'm like, do you watch TV? Do you have a favorite show? And they're like, "Oh yeah, well I watch this." I'm like, "Well, you're not going to see that one for a while." And that I feel like once that actually starts happening, more people will realize it does affect it's them. It's a delayed reaction. Yeah. It's like it's not affecting you right now because all this stuff is already made and set to release, but any of the things that are in production are not going to get made for a while, and people are going to get mad. People are going to get upset. They're going to forget what's going on in their show by the time they watch it again. It's like a round two of COVID, another stoppage. I'm very familiar with this. Um I'm a TV wonk, a movie wonk. In fact, uh, I just read something this morning. I think the Hollywood Reporter wrote it up about the five potential changes in the future and things that we we still have to get past. Um, And one of the things that I read, and I want your guys' take on this, was that um, the idea of big, expensive peak TV is mostly over for a lot of these production companies. They want to do more... um, like Lincoln lawyer type shows. The shows don't cost that much. Um, they can drag them on a little bit longer, which means subscriptions will go on longer. Mm-hmm. What are some of the changes that you guys see after we get everybody back to work? There, right now, there's going to be, once once the, the SAG after strike is over, there's going to be a flood of productions. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to be those, those mid-level productions, um, independent films, some of the, the bigger studios like Netflix, they, they want to churn out more, you know, they, they call it content. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate that word. Yeah. How come? It's it's something to be consumed, and I, I think art and, and film is something to be appreciated and and you know watched over and over again. In in the case of you know modern modern media, Charles and I were literally just talking about this <laughs> yeah. like an hour ago. Like I said, I it, hope you don't have anywhere yeah. to go. But I can do yeah. this. <laughs> well, and and that's and that's the issue where you know it's it's content to be consumed. It's disposable. You just move on to the next show. Here's three seasons of this, and then here's here's a new show to replace it. It's pretty much the same. But that it's actually that actually translates over to social media. People referring to their themselves as content. Mm-hmm. Content creators. 
Yeah, but like, but ultimately, you are your content. So like, you are something that's being consumed or discarded or like watched and then forgotten. Like, mm -hmm. there's some like people consume media, but they don't take it in. I think feel like that like the doom scrolling on TikTok. If somebody sits on TikTok and watches like 50 videos, how much of that do you think they're actually going to remember? Probably not every well, single one of them. I, I just read in a separate article today that like the average target TikTok person, so someone under 30, consumes about 80 minutes a day. And so you're right. Yeah. Mike, to go back to you, what if we call it good content? And there's a difference between content, good content, and bad content. Well, I, I think I think the real issue is it's you know, these, these heads of studios, it used to be people who loved film or they loved TV. And now it's the, the Wall Street types who are, Money. you know, they're looking at their, their shareholders. They're looking at, okay, you know, what's going to appeal to the most people and make the most amount of money? They're not thinking of the, of the films or the art. They're just like, okay, how much of, of this content can we get out? And, you know, they're not particular about if it's good or not. And it's up to, you know, the writers and the actors and, the producers and directors making sure that you know they have the passion to put something together that is going to have some lasting value. Well, and, and it's kind of it's it's the big change of qu like quantity over quality. Like if they were to use AI to do everything that they would want to do, it would make everything really cheap, and it would make them be able to pump out this content much quicker, which gives them more room for mistakes. If they put out something that's bad, oh, well, it doesn't matter. We didn't lose that much money on it. Here's something else that might also be bad, but people are still watching it. They're still getting money for it, whether it's good or bad, and then they can just keep pumping these things out. And it's like, we're going to be saturated in crap. Well, like, and, and because like studios are so risk averse, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're so concerned about, you know, wanting to make sure that every movie makes a billion dollars nowadays. And it's, th that's the frustrating part of it. That, you know, they don't want to take a risk. If they could just have, you know, AI versions of all the most popular actors mm -hmm. and just, you know, make something with that and churn that out. It's no risk. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I get it. Cause I've, I've Wall Street bottom line debt has been in my life what I do for the last 15 years where, you know, every year or so when I hear the, the budgets word get thrown around, I'm like, I got to duck the guillotine mm -hmm. and it does suck to see the artistry yanked out of it. And I, I never, I always say, I don't agree with this stuff, but unfortunately I've come to understand it so I can keep myself in things. Mm -hmm. Um, like I said, I, I like this stuff a lot. You and I have never had this discussion, Michael, but I remember watching Netflix, and this might have been before COVID, um, where it was, a, and this was definitely before all the other um, studios cranked out their own app. And I'm like, another, another story, another day uh, of Netflix, uh, a new show. And I tune in, I was like, this is this is not good. Like, doesn't anybody see it? Maybe I'm the only one that saw it. Others obviously did, but I'm like, if there's 10 new Netflix shows, half of one is good. Like for every, for a relatable example, for every Stranger Things, mm -hmm. there's 20 to 30 shows or maybe less, but still a lot that don't hit. Mm -hmm. And it caught up to them. And that's why when Netflix had to have its reckoning and I watched its stock, like get its knees and head chopped off and mm -hmm. now it's back up. I'm like, this is a very, e it's funny. We think people on Wall Street are super smart, but sometimes they, they miss, they don't see the forest through the trees. I'm like, this mm -hmm. is easy. Make good content, not so much of it, and you won't have this problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, how I do you guys I, see things? I never thought anybody on Wall Street was smart, <laughs> um, unless you, know, you for, were for, there. First, first thing, but I, I will say so. One of my one of my all time favorite quotes is uh, the writer uh, Theodore Sturgeon. He said, 90% of everything is crap." Yeah, and that was at the time he was talking about TV. He was talking about you know, writing, and I don't think that's changed. 
And, I agree. And the good thing is that the the ten percent of things that are not crap are are memorable enough to you know you, you think about a decade in in TV or film and you, you think about those the the great shows of the eighties or nineties and then you remember it's like there was an entire lineup of of shows. You know, from TGIF exactly, yep. and and what shows do you remember from that? You know, you know, one here, one there, and you don't even think about all the other stuff that was turned out. Yeah, because the the memorable stuff sticks. I and Charles, I want you to hop in on this in one second, but I'll throw out something that I thought of in the last three three or four years. Um, when everybody's like, I'm going to start a podcast. Oh, yeah. I'm glad that people found other ways to to get audio on demand, but I could see the same thing happening. I'm like, this is going to, and it hasn't happened. Not that I can see. But people are going to be inundated with podcasts and they realize uh, a lot of these are not very good. And then maybe they'll go back to traditional radio. Now, that hasn't happened. They've gone other places. But I'm sure there are plenty of people who jumped in the podcast pool and they're like, this sucks. Now, maybe they went to three bad ones and didn't listen to to ones that they would have liked. But again, 90% sucks. 10% is pretty good. And if you don't find that 10%, you might be gone from that medium forever. Like if you see three bad independent films you might never go see the next a24 release which you would would get you addicted to that company yeah charles uh no i i agree totally um good comment yeah sorry sorry, <laughs> sorry space I, lo- I, I, I love i love well, let me let me ask you this i was just, do you do you guys know the name matt baloney no not specifically big like entertainment walk he does have a big podcast and i think he started puck news Hmm. and he's wired into a lot of this and he talked about a uh, he he foresaw a class system which is in its uh, infancy right now when it comes to uh what we do and and what we subscribe to with streaming i'm moving all my stuff over to the ad tier because it's so much cheaper Hmm. and we're all sitting on our phones anyway so I'll go on my phone while you run the ad. And he talked, you know, the rich people will have their $20 a month subscriptions, no ads, and us plebeians will have $7.99 a month with ads. Hmm. Where do you see things going with streaming, both now and five years from now? Uh, I didn't come here for all these hard questions. Honestly, honestly <laughs> I, I feel like history is just repeating itself, and you're already seeing it now. I think that all of these streaming services are just going to get bundled to ga- together, yes. and Cab- we're just going to have cable again. Cable 2.0 is what yeah, I call it. That's literally what it's going to be. It's going to be cable, except you can just pick what you want to watch now. You'll, I, I'm waiting for this, and maybe, Michael, you know the economics and business of this as well. It's all been rumored. I, I thought the same thing. We see a little bit of it now, but you... The three cable companies might be Apple, Amazon, and Netflix, who all sucked up the other ones. Well, Disney. Don't forget Disney. Yeah, Disney. I I think they they went out. Yeah, they've done quite a bit. They went out? Well, so one of the interesting- Especially with Iger. Uh. Well, one of the interesting things is, you know, talking about like kind of returning, returning to cable is- with cable, at least you knew how many people were watching your show. Yeah. With, you know, you had the Nielsen ratings. You knew how many, how many people were watching broadcast shows. And with all these the streaming services, one of the things that was in the um, it was in the, the WGA agreement was they wanted the numbers. They wanted to know how many people are actually watching the show versus how much money that they're making from this. Because when the writers get their residuals, you're talking these two three cent checks, mm-hmm. and it's and they're saying, oh, well, it's based on how many people were actually watching the show, but they wouldn't provide those numbers. Right. And even in this final agreement, they actually said. Okay, we'll show you the numbers, but they're still private. So they they can't they the writers will know what the viewership is like, but 
The public will not. We don't know. There could have been seven people watching House of Cards, Mm. but we were never told otherwise. We were just told, like, huge show, more seasons. Exactly. Then Kevin Spacey got, you know, into his thing and the thing ended. But yeah, I remember at the outset, like, when I first got into that show, that was my my gateway into Netflix. Um, And all I knew was, oh, a lot of people watch this show, but I also read. We have no idea how many people are actually watching this show. Yeah, they, and, they never released any ratings. They, you know, they, they were so vague about it because it was like now with them trying to to write off productions or shelve entire films, and you know, just write off these costs because they, they say, well, it's not performing well. We didn't have a lot of viewers, and they're just saying that they're not backing that up with with the information which you know the writers the writers want the you know sag after they you know they want to know as well because you have those you have actors who are working on points in the back end so they have no idea what's going on they're they're being so vague about it because they want to look and say okay we're really successful look at all the viewers we have look at the the you know our membership is growing so many you know subscribers on netflix and the show is doing so well but when it comes to tax purposes yeah, it actually wasn't doing yeah. so well. There's only seven people watching it. Everybody's actually just watching The Office. So that's that's the issue with, with that, where they're they're trying to have it both ways. And yeah. it's easier than ever to get these metrics. Yeah. In the past, you might have gotten a box on your TV to track it, and we're still in that as far as radio is concerned, where they're all estimates. Mm. Now, I, I think, like, when I am a... I, I feel bad for the person. I have satellite radio. It's mostly for the MLB network, which I can't get anywhere else and some other things. I feel bad for the person who has to track uh, me in my car because I'm bouncing all over the place. Mm. But they can. They know how many seconds I sat on the MLB network. They know how many seconds into that first spot I zoomed with. And it's the same thing. And they know the where streamers. you were when you were doing it. And that's up. <laughs> if they want to see that, that's on them. But we, you're, it's, it's so it's such a terrible contradiction and this is why the strikes were so important and I'm so glad to see the high-powered actors get on the picket lines because yeah. a lot of times um, in other things with big unions like in sports and, and Jeep you'll see a wedge drawn between the high earners and the layman which are there more so it was great to see the famous people on the picket lines hmm. well, it was also great to see you know a lot of the you know the working actors who you know were explaining you know not all actors are rich you know we're not all millionaires you know we're doing a handful of jobs every year you know we're barely making our health insurance requirements hmm. and you know trying to explain to the wider world because you hear about a union strike and you think oh these are you know hard workers and especially like with you know Toledo and Ohio and the the Midwest attitude, like you know, oh, this is you know what's what can what is considered real work, right? Yeah. And acting is work, and these are working actors. You know, these are people who are hustling, you know, day after day, week after week, and they're not making a lot of money, and they rely on this. So it was a it was great to see, you know, not only them on the picket lines, you know, really spreading that message, but also you know the the bigger names coming down and showing that solidarity. We saw more Fran Drescher than we have since the nanny was on. I know, right? <laughs> uh, anything that we didn't touch on with this this big topic of something that I hope we've translated this to people and now they get it a little bit. Like, this this does involve me. I mean, we live it. I just read that they kicked the writers off Daredevil because they were turning it into a Law and Order show and <laughs> that movie's never But he's coming. a lawyer! <laughs> and, and Godspeed of Deadpool gets out on time, but I it, see this. It won't. I, it, it won't yeah, it's yeah. not going to. No. It's, um, and, 2025, I think, is yeah. what I think. Um, yeah, they're not. I thought they had bumped it from May of next year anyway to later in the year, but I think it was supposed to be this time this year. But anything we didn't cover with this stuff, which you guys are so passionate about? 
I mean, there's always. Yeah, I, I could talk, talk about this. About Please do. I don't have to go on the air until yeah. three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I will say what, what I mentioned about Toledo being, you know, the, the Midwest sensibility where we are, you know, we appreciate hard work and, you know, there's that humility that comes to that comes to mind. And understanding that, yeah, you know, film is work. Film is a business. We, you know, we understand that we have a good work ethic. And we are also really good at making something out of nothing. You know, we don't have the Hollywood money. We don't have a huge budget. You know, we're constantly going around trying to find ways to to raise money. You know, we don't get money from the city of Toledo. We are not part of city government. We're not an arm of, of the city. We don't get any of that funding. So, you know, we have to go out there and hustle just like everybody else. And, you know, we try to make a lot out of out of nothing. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, it's it's a very Midwest kind of thing that we've been doing. You yeah. can get, how do grants treat you well? You're able to grab those? That, that's something we've been working on. And actually one of the reasons that we that we partner with the city of Salido is that actually opens up a lot of avenues Good. to that. Yeah. So there's like the Ohio Arts Council and other organizations that now that we do have that affiliation with the government, that we're, we're able to access funds like that. But, you know, right now we've, you know, and especially like, with with COVID shutting things down and the strike shutting things down, you know we've kind of operated we, as yeah. a bare bones operation. Yeah, Charles, uh, sorry to hit you with all these hard questions. Who's your favorite actor or actress? Oh, man, that everyone people ask me that all the time. Sorry to be it, it's understandable. Idiot. Like when when people right. find out you're an actor, like there's a few things that I feel like go through their heads and they have to yeah. say it out loud. Have you been in LA? Have you been in New York? What are you in? Well, like, well, like, are you on IMDb? A, a lot of it, <laughs> it is. I, I am actually. Uh, I, what's funny is like people people always reference IMDb and talk about how many credits they have and blah blah. blah. And like I don't even know how many credits I have because I don't I don't look at my IMDb. I don't. Right. I've never gotten anything from IMDb. An IMDb measuring contest. I one guess. Might say. But well, they, they do they do have rankings. Yeah, so there's so like star power yeah, and uh, stuff. IMDb Pro. If you get if you have that account, you can you can go and actually like compare yourself. You know, numerically to other your actors. other actor yeah. friends. <laughs> so, just an actor whose work you admire. Then, um, I, I was just thinking about somebody the other day. Or how about how about a show? Oh yeah, no, yeah, totally. Anthony Hopkins for sure. Okay. He, he really is like one of our best like actors. He just. Uh, his portrayals, like his eye movement, his his micro expressions in one small little take, can just range so far that he can display how good he is, and so many people don't notice it. But that's the point; they don't notice it because it's so natural and believable. They just see him as that character. They don't think he's acting. We, we actually showcase uh, his work in one of our workshops where it's uh, about micro expressions. There are some uh, classes where they focus literally on just eye work. Yeah. And, I t- I've and took acting a class for about camera. That. And that's, you know, those are what we're trying to bring here. More classes like that, where it's the more like the inc- intricacies of acting. Yeah. Cause one, uh, one, one thing you were talking about the Midwest mentality in terms of film and acting is uh, I've, I've, we're in kind of like a rust belt kind of area. Like there's a lot of automotive stuff around here, a lot of factories. And like, I've done a lot of that work, but I've also been an actor while doing that work. And one of the common mentalities I come across in these kinds of jobs is people thinking like, they're like, Oh, you're an actor. How do you do that? Or they think that I'm like some like frou-frou like LA type. I'm like, dude, I'm working in this factory. Same as you. Right. It's like, 
not every actor has to be some fluffy, sensitive guy. I'm like, and you know, yeah, I'm in Toledo. Acting is rough, but I have to travel for it. And I've, I've, I've had people straight up tell me, like mostly older men, telling me that I'm stupid for doing acting in Toledo. And I'm just like, well, doesn't seem so stupid now. It's like I've been getting a lot of gigs. I've been doing a lot of local work. I've been doing a lot of work in for like bigger companies. I have an agent in Columbus now. It's like things have really taken off. I almost gave up on acting like a while back just because of that. Like I almost felt like I was getting bullied out of acting because I live in the Midwest. What's the the Edison line? I didn't fail a hundred times. I found a hundred ways to you know to to move on. And it's that one time after you're ready to quit. Um, what's your favorite Hopkins role? Uh, what was it? I mean, Silence of the Lambs is always like a good example. That's a really creepy role. Um, Westworld, he's really good in as well. It is my favorite show of the last decade. I hate that it went so sideways. I haven't finished. <laughs> no, no spoilers. <laughs> How many seasons are you through? I'm. I'm not. I just started not too long ago. It's. And- it is a brilliant show, and you know. You know, there's think pieces for for everything, no matter how the think pieces on this are so worthwhile. How many episodes are you in to the first season? Probably two or three. I'm watching with my girlfriend, so it's a lot harder to to watch shows quickly. Where is it now? Because it got kicked off HBO. Uh, I don't know. I've watched it like a month ago. I don't even know if it's on HBO or brilliant show and not sorry but i i, I want you no. to feel my pain well now i really want to finish it <laughs> you're really no. hyping it up i want you to feel my pain because i don't want you to waste your time either you can stop after season two really can, it's like the nolans um christopher nolan's brother and his wife actually i think what happened was they um uh, they started to get big and they started to think about other jobs and they spent less time on this beautiful show. Right. So, and I just read in this article today, like if their fallout thing, the video game project doesn't work on Netflix. Well, they're back to baristas or something. Well, and I'm really hoping that does work out because I love fallout. I think that's a great game. I series. hope it works. <laughs> really hope it works. Um, did you see Westworld? I have not. Okay. I, I, I did see the original film. I saw some, Westworld and Future World. You have to watch those two the to movies. juxtapose them to this beautiful piece of 2010s great content going back to 70s campiness. Okay. See, and, and I know Charles knows really well that I'm a big 70s film fan. Yeah. It, you know, that's if, like if, all he watches. Well, if you ever want to, if you ever want to start a fight, I, you know, I, I say the seventies was the best decade for film. Period. He, for film so, specifically. For, for film, film. For film specifically. Your parents did a lot of drugs around you when you were younger, right? That was a weird They really decade. didn't. They, okay. they Actually, really, really that, didn't. it's like quite the opposite. Really? I, I've met his parents. <laughs> what about the 70s is so appealing to you? So it, it's the last, the last decade where independent film was really a thing, where people got to experiment and it was, it was gritty and grungy and, you know, it was imperfect. You didn't have the big blockbuster films. That, that was at the end of the 70s with, you know, Spielberg and, you know, film, films like that. And I'm just something about the aesthetic of that where you you got to experiment. Sometimes it didn't work out so well. The effects weren't always they weren't always perfect, but the writing was always good. The acting was it's where acting became more naturalistic. And I'm a big fan of that. So everything just kind of came together. And that just that's like my my sweet spot for films. What's your favorite movie from that time? Oh, you know, one I, I don't know if I have a favorite right now but the last film that i watched from the era was actually uh the andromeda strain 
I remember that. Big, it's big, re- remade several times, right? And I refuse to watch the remake. <laughs> <laughs> because, because I know they came out in the, in the in the 2010s, and I just know it's not going to be as good. But that was that kind of thing where it was very... Uh, it was very procedural. It, it's kind of, it's kind of a cold film, but you know the acting is very natural, and you know the dialogue is is, is really snappy, and it's you know it's based on a novel. It's 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 smart. It's forward thinking, and it's it's one that it, you know anytime I see it on on TV, I always have to stop and watch it. Charles, do you have uh, a hill you will die on, like Michael Will Seventies Hill, a so, strong uh, film uh, opinion or um, TV show? I mean. To root it back, one thing I'm very passionate about is that AI is not art. Okay. Um, that's not, something I say a yet. lot. AI is not art. Not yet. No, it's not art. Sorry. If, if you look up the first definition of art, it literally talks about human expression. AI is not human. And I feel like so many people are using AI as a shortcut to, instead of just learning a skill. Like using AI to make a painting instead of going and learning how to paint. Like, yes, it takes a lot more time. But what about people who do paint? It's like once people start putting this stuff out as their own content, they could lie and say, oh, it's not sure. AI. And it's like, what's it, how do we know people aren't already doing that? How do we know podcasts aren't going to be AI generated well, and people just yeah. reading scripts? I'm, I'm AI. I'm at You're home AI? right now. No, oh, I, man. And, and I don't mean to, to be combative towards you. I like to go when people say AI cannot do blankety blank. And I always like to finish it with, now oh no i know ai is capable of a lot and i know it will be capable of way more in the future i just i don't like the idea of ai butting into things that are naturally humanistic it's also the the issue right now like in in the film industry is you know you have these people the, the wall street types who are they're looking at ai and they're like they're not creative people at all they're like oh ai will be creative for me and then i can make this and that just discounts what everybody else is, you know, in, in the creative industry is trying to do. You still they're just thinking they can do it. You no. still need an artist to instead of a paintbrush, so to speak, they would use the AI as the paintbrush. But we're still talking very much into the future with something like that. No strong feelings, nothing you'll die on for for a movie or anything like that. For a movie? Um, like you live in Toledo, you hate Mash? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Mash is I grew up on Mash. I I, I, I kind of did too. My dad watched a lot of Mash growing up. It's it's whatever. All right, one one hill I'll die on is that Cruella is Disney's worst live action film uh Disney film. Like, hands down, 100%, I will die on that hill. No I, can... I will die on that hill with you because <laughs> it was absolutely trash. I, I, I hated just, it. Aren't like, all their live films a pile of trash? Yes, but yes. but Cruella was the worst. Okay. In, in my opinion, it was the worst. Like, they CG'd the Dalmatians. Didn't make sense. It was weirdly some partially a heist movie. Uh, it couldn't keep its own story straight. Uh, like there were lots of times where it just came off of its own plot. Uh, there, were, it was a period piece. Yet there was technology that was not available during that period, and we can relate to that. And I know he, <laughs> he knows exactly what I'm talking about. Well, and then they tried to like redeem Cruella by making a worse villain than her, right. and it's like her name is Cruel Devil. There shouldn't be somebody worse than her. Right. Well, I think the frustrating thing was, you know, you and again, you had this, you know, th- there was genuine talent involved in making. There the was film. The, the performances and watch, were great. And watching everything just 
become like less than the sum of its parts. Yeah. I, and I was so frustrated watching that. And and also, you know, you're, yeah, you're trying to redeem somebody who's supposed to be irredeemable. You're you're giving them this this girl boss backstory, that, you know, like a Devil Wears Prada type thing, that just you know it, it just doesn't work and it sends a bad bad message. And spoiler for the ending. Um, it, it's not so much a spoiler because obviously we know this happens, but in in the the future 101 Dalmatians movie, um, but it alludes to the fact that Pongo and Perdita, the two main characters in 101 Dalmatians, who have puppies together, are who have puppies together, are brother and sister, mm. based on Cruella's backstory, because Cruella gives them both their dogs. From her own dogs, meaning that Pongo and Perdita are siblings and the 101 Dalmatians are all incest. Is that some creepy Skywalker thing, too? So I don't know. It's some kind of weird thing. I hope it's not canon. Uh, are, you, are you guys still good on time? Like another 10 minutes? Yeah. yeah. It's I'm, I'm fine 12.45, because right. uh, I thought of another question. No, I, I love going to the movies. Uh, I, haven't been all, I haven't been since Mission Impossible, which I, I've never seen one. I liked it. Yeah. I know it's gotten... I guess it underwhelmed, uh, but I just told a friend today, uh, we usually do Thursday night premieres because I want my weekends and I want to go Fridays and Captain Marvel is, is a month away and I'm sure it's going to be underwhelming and whatever, but um, what do you, do you guys like going to the movies? What would you do to make going to the movies better aside from the movies, the, from the movie itself? I actually... How to make a movie going experience better? Yes. I mean, the popcorn could be, could be cheaper, thousand percent. But but actually, I you know the movie going experience nowadays, I I think has improved a lot. You yeah, know, you, you have some of these specialty going. theaters where they, you know, they the add so much. The seat the, shake. Yeah. The, oh yeah, I went. The, seats, uh, the you know the whole experience where if you're willing to pay a few extra bucks, it's it's actually really nice. I'm I'm not typically a fan of like the Fast and the Furious series, um, but my friend took me to go see uh, Fast Ten like Fast X or whatever the new one's called. Here come the fast people for you. Yeah, these people are fast and who knows what they're doing now. Family. Did you learn that part? Family. I learned about family and it was very important. <laughs> but I'll tell you, there's nothing better than watching a Fast and Furious movie and sitting in one of those seats that like move around and yeah. shake because as the movie is going, it's like you're in the car with them and it's throwing you around all over the place. It's like it's immersive like you're you're engaging more of your senses in this like you know film viewing process so i think that's a great way to improve film like i know they've experimented with like all sorts of stuff like 3d and smell of 3d was a disaster well they, yeah. they used to they used to do that i mean starting, starting back in the 50s if you remember the the film uh the tingler <laughs> Well, William Castle, where he actually, you know, they had like little electrified or electrodes that were under the seats where it would kind of like jolt the audience a little bit. And apparently that was deemed not safe. Okay. So Which is why my business plan uh, for the video game uh, jacket that shocks you every time you get shot, that, got, that was shot down immediately. <laughs> but, but that was the thing. They, they were always experimenting, trying different things and, you know, trying a lot of them were gimmicks. And I mean, I I still even think 3D is a gimmick. It it just it's it's never worked for me. I don't like like I know you wear glasses, but I don't like wearing glasses yeah. while watching a movie. Like I in the 3D was awful. Like I I don't know why, but my girlfriend and I went and saw Titanic in 3D when it was in theaters like last year, 
And like I kept taking the glasses off because it was really uncomfortable to watch, and then everything was weird and blurry without the glasses. And, I'm and like, it was a film that wasn't intended for 3D. Exactly, it, it's something they had to add on after the fact, and you can always you can tell. Yeah. But I know they've experimented with like smellovision and stuff like that too. Kind of like if you've uh, the seat shaking, Michael. Maybe if you've been to theme parks, as Little and Charles, they had those kind of things on some some rides. Like actually, there's one at the Imagination Station, yeah, the <laughs> little, uh, little the theater. You shake and it's like a real roller coaster and then uh, I remember the Spider-Man ride that I went on down at Universal where mm. when there's like a, uh, a fire on the screen it gets hot and they splash water on you they, uh, they did the same thing at, at Universal they had it was uh, a Terminator ride mm-hmm. and they had like the jets of, of steam that would come out and, and water and all that kind of stuff where it's like it just it just added to the experience and that was okay because it was meant to be that way yeah. but adding adding the stuff to the film after the fact like you know Titanic later. doesn't need to be in 3D I just yeah. There's, there's no point. Parts of it was cool. Parts of it was cool in 3D. But I mean, unless you unless you wanted to fill the the theater with water. Yeah, really, let's really, do it. Like, let, let's see who gets out. Yeah, we can have our own Jack moment. Um, I'm I'm with you, and I love doing this with my friends. Um, once a year, once every six months, we have this discussion because we all love going to the movies. Um, my, I always come back to the food. Like, if you're going to charge me so much, can it be a little bit better? Like, yeah. can the pretzels be a little bit warmer than lukewarm? <laughs> and can the cheese not look like something from from a toxic dump? Mm. Like, if you're going to... Ch- and I know this is... You're a captive audience. That's how the theaters make their money. But if it's going to be that much, I w- want better quality out of it. And I'm glad it's, that it's some places... Have- it's gotten a little better. And actually, I was just discussing this with somebody last night about... You have, like, the, the theaters like the Alamo Draft House where, you know, they have mm-hmm. high-quality, you know, food and drinks. And they, you know, it's, it's an entire experience. It's like dinner in a movie. And I would love to see something like that here Same. in Toledo. That would be... That's one of my big goals. Even if it was, place. like, a, a modernization of a drive-in where... You're there to have dinner, and it, the movie's kind, you're kind of watching the movie, and maybe it's something you've seen a thousand, like Titanic, so you can have that that multi, multitude of experience. Um, or just go old school, you can make out with your girlfriend at the drive-in. Do that. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I will say, when I when I go to a movie, I, I don't want it on, on, in the background, because yeah. I'm spending money. I want to make sure that I'm having the most immersive experience. I, so I went, um, so I, I, you know, I completed the Barbenheimer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw Barbie, and I went and saw Oppenheimer, and that was that kind of thing where I, you know, I sat kind of close, and I just wanted to be immersed in the whole thing. And the only thing that was distracting was spoiler after the nuclear bomb goes off. Oh, come sorry! On. Uh, a couple actually in front of me got up and left because they thought the movie was over. And there was another hour to go. Yeah. And it was like that was the only distracting thing because otherwise, like I was completely immersed in the whole thing. And that's if I'm going to the movies, that's what I want. Yeah. A friend almost got me to go up to wherever in Ann Arbor where the seats shake for Oppenheimer. Yep. She's yep. like, if you're gonna go, like if you're not gonna, you I was invited go, to one of those. Yeah. You don't want to go to a Marvel movie or whatever. It's a goddamn nuclear bomb. Yeah, nothing's gonna sh- shake a seat like a nuclear bomb. Yeah, I love Nolan. I'm a Nolanite um, for the obvious Batman reason, but that thing lingered a little bit longer than it needed to. I think Batman uh, did too. Well, not well, you not, shut your mouth. Sorry, the the Robert Pattinson Batman. Yes, uh, that went on not too Nolan. long, and I. It's weird because watching that, I could see that they reused some shots or from that they shot clearly in the same day in the same place. Okay, I, here here you go. I so speaking of hills to die on, I want to bring back intermissions. Yes, if, 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 these, if these films are going to be three hours, three and a half hours long. 
let's you know return to what we did before have intermissions bathrooms that, inside the theater oh, that not, have a screen not. on the wall so you don't miss anything <laughs> i went the other way i i went uh when you go to the urinal or whatever the door the screen is there and you can hit a button for your theater number but then people could just sneak into the bathroom. And watch I, 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 I if you totally do, do if you if somebody did that, they have deeper issues. Michael and I will guard and make sure that doesn't happen. Um, I remember that was a discussion point for Avenger. Uh, it might have been for Endgame. Endgame, yeah. And do you three hours and two minutes? Do you yep, remember? Yeah. Do you do you know Jeff McGinnis? You have to yeah, know. I do. When Jeff used to come and visit all the time, and I remember he and I having that discussion on the air somewhere. And he's like, it makes sense. These are long movies, but it keeps it it, uh, it keeps the, the turnover less. If there's a 15 minute intermission, that's 15 minutes from somebody else being in the theater, and that costs them money. But it's viable. I, I know that that's one of the the arguments against it. The other issue is, which is something that I, I think the theaters would be in favor of, if you're having that 15 minute intermission, that's time to get up and get more snacks, and yep, get more, more food. Go to the bathroom. To the theater, and that that has to outweigh the the amount of time lost. I I know back in the day, you you know you they would they would have you know lights in the theater where you know just like going to you know a play, you know there'd be the the lights that would go on and or a bell would go off to let people know that they were you know oh, time to get back to your seat. If the movie theaters could find some way to adopt that kind of thing. I think I think it could work. Like a restaurant and, and just, buzzer. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now some place. When I bought tickets for uh, for I bought tickets for somebody to come to Taylor Swift with us tomorrow night. And when I was checking out at Fandango, it asked me uh, what food do I want and do I want it to my seat or anything like that. So they're they're trying, but oh, I yeah. I think you guys are right, and maybe the theaters will have this reckoning. It seems like they've been on the precipice for years now, where they're going to have to get wild. They need mm-hmm. to adapt. That's you know, and that's something that they they tried to figure out during during. The the pandemic where you know they they had the, the space between between the seats they would offer all these rentals for private parties things like that we did there's like reclining um, couches now yeah yeah we did uh we rented out um, a theater to see uh speaking of nolan uh, we saw tenet which yeah is awful i'm just going to say sorry, that sorry i'll die on that that's, hill that's too. a hill another like, hill if you need that, that that movie would have been so interesting and so amazing if i could have heard any of it i would have walked out of that movie on an airplane i i i <laughs> I call, on that airplane that blew up, I call that Robert Pattinson's Batman tryout. Yeah, in, in the same oh, for sure. For in sure. the same, that's where uh, Nolan said to Reeves, "He's your guy." Similar to how Inception was Dark Knight Rises tryouts. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but but that's the thing where you know the the theaters were trying out different ways to get people you know in the theater during this really difficult transition. That was period. August of twenty twenty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and that was and that was the thing where it still it still made some money, but it was really difficult just getting people in there. But it was like, yeah, you can rent out an entire theater for ninety nine bucks. It was great, even though the film wasn't. But <laughs> I, yeah, Tenet is my Cruella. Got so it. Cruella is his his most hated. I yeah. just I feel like I didn't need to spend thirty money or thirty dollars to see Cruella yeah. <laughs> when. Uh, my movie friend and another guy went to go see that in in August because my thing on 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 my platforms at the time was you dumbasses a movie theater is the safest place you could possibly be you're sitting away from people and people should be keeping their mouths shut anyway mm-hmm. we went to the theater at Fallen Timbers I thought it was closed like there was like two people working there so it wasn't for us it was a very nice theater experience yeah oh yeah I mean I and and it's funny like 
sometimes I'll go I'll go to the theater by myself and people think that's weird. And it's like no, it's it's the best way to do it because <laughs> yeah. you it, you know, you are completely immersed. Now, sometimes there's films that you go to with your friends, you know, we you know, we went and saw Barbie and that was a, a good a good crowd pleasing kind of experience, yeah. really funny and or uh, everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. You know, we went and saw multiple times. And, you know, it was getting to the point where I'm like, I'm, I'm just watching this to watch my friends cry because that's, you know, such an amazing emotional movie. And that, that's something where you want to experience that together in other films. It's like, you know what? I'm OK going by myself. I I get that. And I guess you guys know Justin Camuso. Yeah. Uh, Justin told me that, like, I, I missed something by not being in, in, a, in a big filled theater when... Chris Evans said Avengers Assemble and like the place erupted. I get that. I did that. I I went 6 p.m. on opening night just because I didn't want to have anything ruined. Mm. And it was the most uncomfortable crowd (laughs) because it was the hardcore fans. I'm not I'm not a hardcore Marvel person at all. In fact, I'm done with Marvel. But I I had to do that because otherwise I knew the experience would have been ruined. Yeah. And I was surrounded by people who were screaming and cheering and the one guy who was crying the entire movie for some reason. (laughs) And I'm like, nobody's died yet. Um, But he probably knew who was going to die. So he was just preemptively crying. And, but that's the thing. It's like some films, you know, you have to go with that crowd. Hmm. I can't do it. Uh, I look at it as what I, what I give up in that is when I go to movies and even when I go to Thursday movies and big openings, I can't remember a theater being more than half full. There's one movie that we saw over the summertime that I surprised me was was bigger than any of the Marvel movies. But I, I what I trade in that experience, that shared experience is, I feel like I'm in the theater by myself and I, it's like my living room and I can be comfortable. I don't mm. have to worry about somebody next to me. I can put my feet up. I can shift as I want. You can check your phone. I don't do that. <laughs> Although... I know I, some people that do that. I, 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 won't, I won't even get into that. We I, went to, I get we so went, mad at that. We went to go see No Way Home on the Thursday night that it opened. And I knew that Justin was going at the same time. I, I, I don't do phone at all. As soon as yeah. it gets dark, I'm off. It's off. But I sat in the last row in the, in the top right corner. And as soon as, uh, whether it was Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield walked through whatever portal, mm-hmm. I texted him immediately in the theater. I'm like, those fuckers lied to us the whole goddamn time. Mm-hmm. But we knew I, they were lying I, to I us. We knew 100%. Well, here's the thing. I actually went, so because uh, I had gone back to college during the pandemic, and I actually, one of my projects involved No Way Home, and it was like analyzing the the trailer and seeing those empty spaces where you knew the other Spider-Men were. And I'm like, they're not fooling anybody. In fact, I was kind of offended. I'm like, okay, we're moviegoers. We're smarter than you think. We know there's something missing. You know, we know some invisible thing kicked the lizard. Um, <laughs> we... We're aware. You don't have to hide that. And it was kind of insulting, I thought. Like, to the whole you. Mar- the whole marketing campaign. Well, I mean, I think viewers are smarter than the studio saying I, I I disagree on that we, for sure we, I, I can do this with audio stuff like I can tell you exactly where, where edits are and a lay person would never oh, yeah. hear and you're the same way with what you just explained mm. someone could watch exactly and you could tell them what's happening they'd be like I have no idea what you're seeing right now it's a preternatural sense that we that we're, we learn Last I think thing. I think it is a thing like he kind of has a point with with Marvel uh, fans uh, specifically 
they notice that overanalyzing. Yeah, like because it's, it's almost like Star Trek, where they're analyzing every little thing that they see, and they're like, "Oh, I know what's going to happen next. I know what's going to happen next." Mm-hmm. And like, I, I think that's a, a big any major heavy fandom like that. I think you're going to have the group who's like that, and then you're going to have the average moviegoer who like has no idea what's even going on. They just want to see a cool movie, and I think those are the people on their phones. Those are the people on their phones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what's your favorite Star Trek movie? Oh, I get, so put him on the hot seat. Okay, this, we'll wrap up with this. Hey, I, I well, have only seen Star Trek because of him. So this, this is true. It's been a two-year. He project. took you to school. Yeah, he I did. did. He curated. Well, he curated I'll actually Star say Trek because I, I just showed it to him. What was that last week? Uh, Wrath of Khan. Okay, is obviously the 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 top. I I go back and forth between Wrath of Khan and Voyage Home. Okay. They're great movies. The one with the whales. Yeah. <laughs> I because that's that's like the big crowd pleaser kind of film. Save and I, the I'm whales. I'm more of a fan of that kind of thing versus like like the straight drama. And that's just like my own filmmaking sensibilities. But I, I was you know, it was just really funny that I, I've shown him so much Star Trek and we never got around to watching Wrath of Khan because the formula has been copied so many times since mm-hmm. that it's like, Oh, you need to watch the the basis of this. You know, this film that is as old as I am <laughs> still holds up. So you're more original series than the other series? I actually, so for me, uh, DS9 is my top, and but I grew up with Next Generation. Yeah, me too. That's, that was me, five years old, traumatized, old you? you know. Yeah. How old are you? 41. Okay, I'm 44, but I got into that show... Um, I was like, that's the guy from Reading Rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Dove all the way in. And it's so funny to go back. All, like, it is my comfort show. And I, in TV history, the Dominion arc, as long as it was, and how many webs it weaved, uh, it's one of the great arcs in TV history for me. But going back to the next generation, it's, and you can probably, maybe you do or don't get this, but I watched the last couple of seasons and I'm like, this is like peak TV for me. And then I watched something in season two. I'm like, this is awful. Like, thank God they, <laughs> thank God they found their, 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 their sea legs on this thing. Well, and, and that's the funny thing is like, you know, like a show like that where they had the time and, and like, you know, the flexibility to do that because yeah. nowadays, you know, you're lucky if you get two seasons period. Yeah. Right. And, and they're like 10 episodes a piece. But well, no, that, that's something that actually uh, Charles and I we went over because we did our, we you know finished uh, DS Nine, and and the original series and the Next Generation. Well, it was, it was, so a, it was, a, cur- it was a curated now. list. It was. it was a curated list. I want to make sure that you know, he saw the best of and the worst of. Mm. Because, What's your favorite DS Nine episode? The baseball one. I no, know. No, no, you there's love a couple of them. <laughs> no, ac- no, actually, you know, it's it's the visitor, the one with old Jake Sisko. Great episode. That was a great I episode. cry Me- every time. I will say, I cannot, I could not stand Jake as a character, though. <laughs> like old Jake was fine. Like when when Sisko was trapped in like the in between or wherever. Um, like that was the only time that Jake was actually like likable to me. Because it wasn't Sirach Lofton. Yeah. <sighs> And, yeah. and no, he, and he's he was a really good kid actor and all that. But it was it was funny because, you know, I I've 
been watching it for it's been 30 years now since it came out and then watching him watch it <laughs> having never seen it before and you know changing your opinions and you know you look at something that might not hold up i was, I actually, I was pointing you know, out a lot of stuff and I, also i'm surprisingly good at predicting what's going to happen <laughs> and well, he, the was, he was between, getting so well, upset <laughs> the difference between like 90s tv and modern tv where things are a little bit more you know complicated people and, are aiming for the twist and the shock yeah. yeah and you know back in the day it was like it was really simple and you know you look at like the original series where you know these classic sci-fi twists it's like oh it wasn't really a threatening alien it was a child the whole time right <laughs> back in the 60s that was mind-blowing yeah yeah and that's why you know like between like star trek and twilight zone outer limits like these the twist-based sci-fi shows they were so shocking but now you have to do so much more work yeah to, but because of those to, yeah, shows yeah they laid the foundation for that yeah. um do you have a favorite character on ds9 and you can't say cisco if he's I, your if he would be I, no your i actually no i i identify with odo yeah, the, the outsider. Oh, I kind totally of, kind of get that. that. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Ornery. Sure. Yeah. Uh, who's your quark? Is he your quark? No, I'm the Bashir for sure. Got it. That could work. I I think, <laughs> I think that was what you had said. He is Odo, like 100. percent I see. It. I even I even huh. went as far as uh, I went to his office, and he had to go step away for a minute. I moved everything in his office like three inches to the right, and like flipped some stuff around, and just waited. And it then upset my and then I was order. like, oh, I got to get going, so I left, and then he messaged me, "What did you do?" <laughs> There's so many great episodes of both series in the 90s that we watched. Not to discount Voyager, but. Uh, my fantasy sports team name was the Pale Moonlighters. Oh, jeez. Um, I, I love that episode. It's an amazing episode. It, it's, and I, I read about it after I had loved the episode, but reading that it was like so un-Star Trek-like for a show that had Gene Roddenberry not died, you wouldn't have all that un-Star Trek-like stuff. Um, beautiful episode and all the deviousness and, and you talk about shocks. And everything. Do you know that episode? Which episode? It's where they brought the Romulans into the war. Oh yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. we all know that. Uh, yes. But but Garrick, Garrick's like yeah. overarching plan that he didn't inform Cisco about because he knew it had a minuscule chance of work. Absolutely, like that was that's like 2010s type stuff that we got in the mid 90s. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, like it did predict a lot of things. I mean, it was, it was at like the the pre 9 11 kind of you know time, but you know they were talking about issues that really kind of came to prevalence after 9 11. Mm. You know, terrorism and the surveillance state and a lot of a lot of issues where I think that's why it holds up so well. Um, I do a Enterprise rewatch every now and then, and I I didn't continue. I didn't watch it regularly back then. It wasn't. A, I don't love serialized TV so much, um, so I'd hop in and out. But I've gone back to rewatch it, and there are some redeemable parts of it. And I had never known until years later that they took a hard shift as to their creative process after nine eleven when they. When the uh, the the probe shot a yep. hole in the middle yep. of the planet, and it was they made direct nine eleven well, correlations. And, and it was funny because you know the only reason they did that is because UPN was like, um, "Your ratings are really tanking. Can you do something drastic to save this show?" And also, our <laughs> you can't network. have Wharf again. Yeah, and they just you know, and they you know they they tried to do something shocking. I you know not a huge fan of Enterprise, but you know like. You won't be watching it, um, but it's not part it, of my curated experience. No, no. <laughs> when they realized that it got a lot better, I mean, it, it did get better actually. Well, the last season where they actually remembered it was a Star Trek show. I know people hated that. Oh, I, that, that's when it. I, I, that was good. Um, that final episode we're just not going to talk about. That was awful. Curious, yes. But um, one word to describe Discovery. Skip. Um, <laughs> Picard. Skip. Really. 
Do you hate the nostalgia play? I, it's not even that. It's a whole. I gave thing. up on it. It was just. I, it's it's something you don't want to see. I, and and this is not. It's not just Star Trek. It's all kinds of. Why did, how did Data get old? No, we're not. Well, we can, uh, I'm saying in a. You how know, did they have all yeah. those gadgets on Discovery? Yeah. yeah. In a in a broader sense, like you have all these um, nostalgia bait kind of shows and movies where, personally, I don't want to see the people that I that I grew up idolizing on the big right. screen or on TV. You know, when they're in their 30s and 40s, I don't want to see them doing the same thing when they're 80. Yeah. We're old and frail. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to see Harrison Ford put on the oh. you know the fedora again. Like it's that's just not believable. It's. It's nostalgia bait. It's it's a cheap attempt to to get people back. I want to see things that are new. You know, I have my comfort shows. They're always going to be there. I you know I want to see something new. I don't want to see the people that I you know that I idolized, you know, shuffling around and trying to act like they were that age. It's not saying it's like an ageist thing, but it's a believability I, thing. I look yeah. at it similarly. Similarly to having been away from home now for the most part for the last twenty some years, when I see my dad, I'm like. I don't see my dad as a 73-year-old yeah. guy who doesn't play basketball like he used to. Like, that's not the dad I know. So I get the feeling. Mm-hmm. The first season of Picard was troubling, but it was yeah. nice to yeah. see him back. The second season had a very rough, inscrutable yeah. line, and then I loved the Q stuff at the end. And then the fact that they basically threw the whole season away for season three, which was nice nostalgia. Well, it was, it was funny because the the redeemable part about that show was I actually liked the other characters. Yeah. Aside from Picard, and I'm like, I kind of wish they had their own show. Let the, like the, let them do their own thing and see something new. And then you know that that didn't happen, and I that was one that I, I stopped watching, and I, I saw the hype, you know, for oh we're bringing back the entire cast, and I'm like, I actually don't want to see that. You have you heard the the desires for le- legacy? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Those characters were nice, but you know they there was an end credit scene at the end of that, right? I, I, I'm aware. Okay. Well, you spend <laughs> that, enough time on TikTok, and right. you pretty much you pretty much see everything that you were trying to avoid. Mm. That's kind of how that works. And I, I honestly like I, I would like to just let it you know lay fallow for a bit. You know, just bring back something new after a certain amount of time. I, I think the only the only show right now would be Strange New Worlds, which. You know, I, it's a really likable cast. I kind of wish, you know, it wasn't so tied to the the nostalgia. But, you know, bring back that old, you know, episodic type thing. Yeah. They have, to a point, it's kind of like DS9 and like, uh, I don't know, like some CW shows mm-hmm. where the first say, show, sorry, the show was like an hour long. The first 47 minutes was, you know, villain of the week. And then there was some stinger at the end that you had to remember, you know, like they brought the Gorn back and they've done yeah. a great job with the Gorn turning them into like vicious reptiles. But mm-hmm. I actually, I didn't realize that was not entirely CG. That's a costume. Good costume. Yeah. yeah it does cool. not look like the old rubber thing that, you know. No, not at all. Right. Not at all, no. I, I love <laughs> that show. Like, that gives me the vibes of late season, next generation, just how much I enjoyed watching it. Because it, it, TV shows ask a lot of us now. And mm-hmm. the shows that I think we like take us into a dark place. Mm-hmm. Um, Westworld, you, if you haven't figured it out, like you have to do a lot of thinking yeah. you're gonna rewatch it several times mm. i don't have to do that like the watching experience with strange new worlds is nostalgic is i can kick my feet up i don't want to be on my phone i don't have to think too hard it's a solid 45 minutes yeah well i mean and, and there are shows now where you I mean even like comedy shows where they you know it's 
it's fun and it's light and there's still like a little bit of an art going on like one of the, the shows that we've been watching uh, what we do in the shadows mm-hmm. where you know it it's hilarious but there's still like a little bit of an ongoing storyline and there's like the tiny little bit of drama here and there that's a Taika Waititi show right yeah and that's you know but it's comforting to watch it's comfortable and I, I think I, I want to see more shows like that where Me too. You, know, you just want to yeah. have a good time and not you know not be dark and you know dreary all the time but I think it also you know media reflects reality we're in a very you know dark and depressing place we we can't even you know picture you know you talk about a show like strange new worlds which talks about you know it, it takes place in the future but i don't know if it gives us hope for the future like the original star trek did we didn't know any it's, better yeah, yeah. I mean, and, look. And, now, and now we're you know we're in this place where it's like we, i don't even know if we can imagine a brighter future for ourselves it's you know we need you know we need something more positive to lift us up Things were dark back then. We were just too young to realize it. Yeah. I had no idea that one of the themes for DS9 was the Holocaust yeah. and Jews yeah. and Nazis. It was yep. very obvious. Yeah, that, that, that was like the first thing I noticed. I, I was yeah. much older. I was 14 <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and wanted to forget everything about my yeah. bar mitzvah. So, I mean, that was also in, you talk about a security state and things like that. That was also in the in the light of a, of a Gulf War where, granted, we kicked ass, but, you know, there were some, some real dangerous things happening then. But there, you know, there was still a way where, you know, they, they found a way to, you know, keep it light and have some humor and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a slog to get through a show like that whereas nowadays you know everything is you know that 10 episode arc and it's all the consistent tone throughout and it's it's just not just not fun to watch anymore yeah that is our one that is our first middle and last episode of trekking in toledo all right (laughs) guys thank you so much for all this yeah thanks for having us